Welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. An action-packed podcast where we'll discuss all things entertainment. You're the answer to are we alone in the universe? Conventions, prop collecting, cosplay, interviews, reviews, and so much more. The show starts with host Brian Gardner right now. So on this week's episode of Be More Super, the podcast, uh, we're doing an interview with a star that's going to be appearing this weekend on October the 10th for In-House Con. And it's going to be an amazing event. So like me, I'm 41 years old. Um, I grew up watching Charlie Brown. Um, And it was an awesome show. Even came over to the UK, believe it or not, uh, because we tend to not get many things here in the UK. And we've got one of the stars, one of the voices of Linus. We've got Jeremy Miller. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me on. It is a pleasure. And how's everything treating you um, in these, uh, you know, unprecedented times, as they say, because not only um, are we battling the coronavirus, but um, where you are, um, you know, you've got, you know, fires everywhere. It's like the end of the world. It's, it's almost been apocalyptic recently. It really has. And uh, I have friends that have been very close to the fires and have been evacuated. Uh, they unfortunately have family who've lost homes and businesses. And it's, it's just a devastating time for everybody right now. It really is. And I mean, you can even get down to smaller things. I mean, the air quality is horrific. I mean, you thought people didn't want to wear a mask before. Now we don't have a choice at the moment. I mean, our air quality is Bless so you. bad. And uh, then, of course, you have all the chaos going on politically here. It's a very interesting time to be, uh, to be here, I got to say. And I, but I'm sure that at the end of the day, it's all going to be uh, fine. We've got Christmas around the corner to look forward to. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> We've got to look at the positives, I, I suppose. We're still here. We are still here, and we're still strong. So this weekend, uh, this is the very first time that the whole cast, the Peanuts reunion, the whole cast is going to be there. Um, have, you, um, you know, have you ever done anything like this with any other cast members uh, before? Um, I have traveled and done certain... Um... Comic-Con type things, autograph signing shows. Uh, I don't do a lot of them, but I, tr- you know, would do maybe one or two a year. And Brad Keston, who was the voice of Charlie Brown, uh, that's actually where him and I reconnected after many, many years. Oh, wow. Was we ended up at the same show together and met and have been, you know, good buddies ever since. Yeah. And I've gotten the chance to work with him at an autograph signing before, as well as uh, Angela Lee Sloan, who... Uh, played the voice of Lucy and um, I've, I've worked with them at certain times on comic cons before. And oh, uh, then awesome. we have just amazing. I mean, the thing that makes this really unique is it's very hard to get everybody's voice. You know, there are many people who've played the voices at different times, but getting one person who did each voice and getting them from the same time frame has been really difficult. So this is the first time we've been able to do that. And it's, uh, it's pretty special. Uh, Peanuts fans are very loyal. And as you said, coming from our age group, you just, it's something you grew up with. 
Yeah, and and you know what? Now, even my three-year-old or my seven-year-old enjoys watching them. Oh, absolutely. And and it's great because you don't get those sort of shows anymore. You really don't. It's all too violent and too, I I, I don't know, in your face. But yet, it's just... I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's just lovely, you know, you know, cartoons. I just think it's fantastic. I, I always loved the Peanuts strip as well as all of the uh, animated cartoons that they did for a couple of reasons. I mean, as a kid, they were just fun. But as I got to know more about it and as I grew up, I still loved them. And it was because of that that message of constant perseverance through Charlie Brown, that message of constant love and compassion and understanding that, you know, it was, it was very cutting edge for the time. And a lot of people don't know Charles Schultz actually took a very big stand early on when we were in, when America was in the middle of its, you know, civil rights movement and its biggest uproar, he actually, without saying a word, put out the very first cartoon ever and it had the first black character in a pool with white characters. Yeah. And at the time he did that, there was actually a big case that had happened just a week beforehand. This was a man who showed constant love and understanding and he did it subtly and he did it in a way that kids internalize, you know, I love that. Yeah. Because the thing is kids, you know, when 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 we talk about uh, races, uh, you know, kids don't see colours, and I just nope. think that's 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 a beautiful thing. They don't discriminate, and I think that that is something that everyone could learn from them. And it and and, and it's sad to think that you know we all grew up like that, and then you know many out there uh, you know aren't very uh, <laughs> forward thinking. Yeah. But but like let's, you said, let... unfortunately, you know. To me, I, I never blame the people. I really don't. Yes, we make our own choices, but, you know, the way we're raised, the things we are inundated with, that all plays a major part. And, you know, hate is learned. No yeah. one is born hating. It's that simple. Hate is a learned behavior. So, you know, it's, it's a sad thing, like you said. But then when you look back at, like, the eight, the eighties, uh, compared to kids and teenagers now, you know, mm-hmm. looking back, you had Charlie Brown, you had Growing Pains, uh, you had many shows out there that 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 taught morals and taught taught you know teenagers and, and and kids and families really good lessons, and you don't get that now, unfortunately. Um, no, it's it's really rare to see yeah. that now on TV. I think some, I think there's a craving for it. I really do. I think people want that back to a degree. Um, we've gotten too real, you know? Yeah. This is supposed to be entertainment. This is supposed to be an escape and a way to enjoy yourself. And we've skewed entertainment to reflect too much of our own reality, I think, you know, and we're dealing with too much. And they, of course, they amplify it. So there's more violence and more sex and more, you know. Yeah. So, no, I miss the wholesome shows. I do. I'm not saying I don't enjoy a good, you know, raunchy comedy or an action film. But as a dad, I miss those good, wholesome shows. I do miss the times when my boys were growing up I couldn't just turn on the TV and let them watch something and know it was okay. You know, when we turned on the television, you were, you knew you weren't, I mean, what was the worst thing you were going to see was Monty Python. Come on. 
you know yeah, i mean yeah <laughs> there wasn't much I, I was i was in i was in britain when i was uh eight years old filming that was the first time i ever got to leave the country and i got to see so much great british television and it was nothing that you wouldn't allow your children to watch yeah I, I mean when i was around eight years old i can remember on a saturday afternoon watching street hawk and airwolf mm. and the a-team and the a-team you never saw anyone get killed it was no. it was it was still fantastic you had macgyver and you, you you had all these shows and do you know what i'm waiting for my kids to get a little bit older and i'm going to get the box sets of all of those shows and just make That's them watch a them great all idea. <laughs> In, including the goonies and 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 films films like that so let's let's go back so how old were you when you first got the part of linus i was about eight years old it was right about the same time I got the part of, grow of Ben on Growing Pains. So they happened within a month or two of each other. And I was privileged enough to get to do the voice for almost two and a half years. So from about eight and a half to 11. And then, of course, my voice changed, even just a <laughs> fraction. And it was, it was time for them to look for somebody else. But I was very blessed. It was, it was an amazing thing to be a part of, being a kid who was such a big fan of peanuts it was such an honor it still is to this day to be a part of that you know that peanuts legacy and i when i auditioned the head of production lee mendelson he was the man who did all of the actual animated specials and he hired me on the spot basically he came in and he said you sound more like the original linus than anybody i've ever heard now i didn't find out till later that was a woman but i'll take it <laughs> that is awesome and what was it like you know being this eight eight year old child um you know getting this part did you all record together or was it completely separate so you didn't see any other cast we actually did get together at the same time the strange thing was we only saw each other when we weren't recording so we'd be in school together or we'd back, be back in the waiting room together. But because it's animated, every line had to be clean. So there was no responding. There was no, when you recorded, you went in and did your lines, yeah. which was very strange for me because I started acting at five and I had never done anything where I didn't have somebody to respond to, where I didn't have some emotion or something to play off of and it was a it was a fun experience but it was very um different for somebody who didn't know you know anything about that and what what was your friend's uh, you know response to you playing linus at school uh actually most of my friends got a real kick out of it especially when the first big special that i did came out which was the happy new year charlie brown um that was one of the big iconic ones and they didn't know i did it until afterwards and most of my friends were just they were like oh my god i can't believe it you got to do snoopy and they felt the same way i did i mean i i i mean i loved every every part i ever got and every job i was i felt privileged to get to do but being yeah. a part of such a legacy type project was just amazing and i even i realized the magnitude of it even when i was that young because i was such a fan and why do you think, uh, you know, it's, it's remembered to this day and loved 
so much to this day because if you say charlie brown or linus or lucy or peppermint patty people will know automatically straight straight away those characters why 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 why, why do you think we, we 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 still love them so much well i think one thing like you said Part of that is it was ingrained in us in kids. You know, it's a part of those memories we always look back on so fondly. But also, it's something that I think is generational. I mean, it's something that, like you said, you show your kids and they love it. And this is, you know, how many decades after it started, uh, my boys grew up loving it. Every, everybody I know grew up sharing it with the next generation and it just keeps getting passed on. And I think that's part of why. I also think, like I said before, just that message of constant perseverance, that message of compassion and love, of always trying to better yourself, of always trying to be understanding. I think those are just things we all wish we could be more of. I mean, truthfully, I think those are things that we all wish we saw more of in the world. I think we wished we were all more like that. And it's something we can all connect with. Exactly. I mean, when when you were eight years old, it must have been absolutely an amazing experience. But, you know, not only Charlie Brown, but but uh, Ben in uh, Grown Paints. I mean, what what's your fondest memory of working on uh, Charlie Brown? Working on Charlie Brown, my favorite, my favorite memory was when we got to do the musical. We did a uh, hour long, I think it was hour, hour and a half long TV special. It was just Snoopy the musical. And it was the only time we were allowed to record together in studio. So we didn't do it with the lines, but when we were singing, they brought us in to do it together. And it was the first time all of us kids got to actually perform together. And that was a really cool experience because we'd never had that opportunity before. You're always alone in the booth with the microphone. So yeah, us all getting to do that together was a lot of fun. So so did you have training before, you know, you was eight years old? Did you act before then? Were you involved in some group or, or something like that? Um, well, I actually, I my mom started me in singing lessons when I was about, I think two or two or three years old. I think three years really? old around there. Wow. I, I, I always apparently loved to sing and um, she just thought it was something I would enjoy. And I did. I really loved it. So I studied at a little place. Uh, funny enough, Mickey Rooney, the famous oh, you know, yes. legend. Yep. He opened some small studios around Southern California and they were called Mickey Rooney's Talent Town. And wow, what a you could name. learn dancing, you could learn singing, you could learn basically anything in the entertainment. He had teachers there and it was all kids studio stuff. So I started taking lessons there and one of the singing teachers, that her daughters were already in acting. And yeah. she just kind of saw my personality and came to my mom and basically said, have you ever thought about putting him on TV? I mean, he, he got the personality for it. He's not shy. He doesn't shut up. I think they'd like him. And that's just kind of where it started. And my mom never pushed me into it. But again, at five, she gave me the choice, but I didn't understand what it really was. I mean, all she really said to me at five years old was, hey, do you want to try being like one of those kids on TV? And I'm oh, sure, mom. Okay. But (laughs) I really fell in love with it. That's the truth. I mean, from the very first time I got on set, um, I got a McDonald's commercial about 10 auditions in right when I started. 
And for the first time I was on set, I just loved it. I really did. I felt at home. I felt at home performing. And it's just what it's one of the things I've always been really passionate about. And did you get the uh, the Linus uh, job before grow, Growing Pains or was it the other way around? I want to say I got the Linus job in between when we filmed the pilot episode right. and when we started filming the first season. So I and believe I already... I believe I had already had growing pains and we had already had growing pains, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> but I believe I already had the role in growing pains and we had shot the original episode, but we hadn't begun our first season yet. We were still waiting to hear if we were going to get picked up for a full season. So, so in the in between time. Yeah. I mean, the experience must, must have been so different from working as, as Linus to going on set with growing pains I mean, it, it was, that must have blown your mind. Well, I had actually done camera work first. So it was more weird for me to be in studio alone than it was for me to be doing group work with the camera. And I had done plays through Mickey Rooney's Talent Town and all that. Um, so performing with a group was never odd to me. Um, and my first film that I did was just before Growing Pains, and it was called Eminon. And it was a really horrible film. Please don't go find it. You will hate, you will hate yourself for That's watching it. Every, it. Everyone me. find it. <laughs> oh, man, it's bad. But it was my first film, and it was a full-length feature that I was one of the three leads in. So I had a lot of filming to do. We shot for almost two straight months. And that was my induction to filming, was on location downtown in LA, you know, filming in the backs of cars and all this. So I got used to that stuff very quickly. Um, none of that ever seemed too odd to me, but at mm. eight when I walked in and they said, okay, here's your script and here's your microphone. Do it, do it. I was like, what do you mean do it? <laughs> like, where's, where's my lines? What do I, who am I talking to? What's going on? You know, that it was just a very different experience, but it was one that I really did enjoy. And I ended up liking a lot. And you spent seven, if I'm right in saying, seven seasons on Growing Pains. Um, yes. How was it, you know, when you left? Because I know that when you're in like a, a big production, as soon as it finishes, it could be such a, you know, a massive weight on you because you finished. I mean, you know, you, you had a family there, a second fam fa family, Very and obviously you're so. saying goodbye. I mean, how was the transition from going from Growing Pains onto you know, your, your journey ahead. There was a lot of mixed emotions with it going down. Um, we didn't find out we were not getting an eighth season until two weeks before we shot that final episode. Wow. So ABC did not notify us that we were being canceled until then. Um, so we didn't have a lot of time to process that information. First of all, uh, secondly, when you've been doing something so long, as much as you loved it and as much as those people were my family, and they absolutely were and still are, it was that excitement of the next challenge and where do we go from here as well. But then, you, like I said, you had a lot of sadness because you're, I mean, that was my second mom and dad. That was my brother and sister. Yeah. And, I, and not just the cast. I mean, we were a very tight set. I mean, we were close with our producers, our writers, our cameramen. I knew the names of every kid, of every kid our cameraman had. 
you know, they came and played on the set with us. We were a family. So that was hard to leave. But we kept in touch. You know, we've, as flaky as this business is, we have all managed to keep in touch over the years better than most. And I think that's because we were all so tight knit. That's so nice. So, because a lot of child actors, they they often refer to, you know, their experience when they leave like a long standing show that they struggle, you know, when mm-hmm. they leave, it's, I, I, I see it a bit like when someone's in the military, you know, you know what I mean? Everything's done for them. Um, you know, they're, they're in their own little world, their own family, and then they leave and they're in the real world. And then it's quite a, a strange tra- transition. That's the best analogy I've ever heard for that. I, I'm not kidding. That's the best I've ever heard because that's it. Your mindset is so different. And yes, to a degree, you are spoiled when you are, and I don't mean spoiled as an attitude. I mean, people spoil you. I mean, on set, if you want food, someone will go get you food. Yeah. If, and they will ask you where do you want them to go. And what, I mean, there's people cater to you. They spoil you. I was lucky in that I had a very strong mom and a very strong grandmother who would not put up with that crap at all. (laughs) So I knew if I tried to, you know, if I was like that, I'd be picking my face up off the floor. So they helped to keep me grounded during that time. Yeah. But it's a hard transition. It is. I had a hard time with it because I had a lot of issues I hadn't dealt with while I was doing the show because I had to be professional and I was, that's something that I dealt with later on, but being expected to be a professional and act as an adult from the age of seven years old on is difficult. It Mm -hmm. is. You suppress a lot of stuff. You don't behave like a kid. And if things are bothering you, you don't talk about it. You learn to put on a happy face and do your job to the best of your ability. And I I, was not, I didn't have the proper tools to deal with life. That's the truth. I just didn't. Mm-hmm. I had suffered a lot of abuse as a kid, uh, not in Hollywood, but um, I had a lot of physical, mental, and sexual abuse as a kid from a family member, uh, a step family member, let me clarify that. But it was stuff I literally just suppressed. I pushed it down. Mm-hmm. I blocked it out because I had a job to do. I had things that had to get done. I couldn't fall apart. So that stuff didn't even really hit me till I was almost 18 years old. You know, I was about two and a half years removed from growing pains at that point. And because of how I grew up, I had no tools to deal with any of that. I didn't. Yeah. And unfortunately for me, uh, alcohol became my solution. Uh, you know, it was that confidence I needed. It was that it pushed down the pain. It helped blot it out because I yeah. certainly didn't know how to deal with it. And I didn't want to in the first place. So it, it pushed me down a really bad path. Um, people who know my story and my recovery from alcohol addiction tend <coughs> to assume, and it's a reasonable assumption given where I come from, that I'm just another screwed up you know, child star that Hollywood was horrible to me and it messed Mm. me up. And I really don't see it that way, given it didn't provide me with a lot of the tools that I needed to, you know, deal with certain things in life. But 
I certainly don't blame it for where I went. I had the good experience. You know, I have friends who had the horrible experiences that drove them to drugs and drinking. I have the friends who were molested on set and Mm. ended up hanging themselves at 21 years old. I mean, I, I can't even count how many, I don't have enough fingers. It's, it's, it is that bad at times. I didn't have that experience. I was very blessed in that I had 200 people on set who cared about my well-being, who loved me, and who would call me out on my crap if I was being a little brat. So, <laughs> good. you know, I, I had a good family. And, um, and that, was, that was just really a blessing. So I always try and make that distinction because I don't, wanna, I don't want everybody, anybody to cast that, that wide net over the people that I worked with. Nobody yeah. I worked with abused me. Nobody did. These people didn't do anything that drove me to my, my dark depths. That was all my own personal demons. Yeah. I mean, it's very, the sad thing is it's very common, isn't it? With, with child stars of the eighties. I mean, with Corey Feldman, uh, you know, exposing a lot of things and, and you know what? I'm good for him because I think that will change how young actors are treated now compared to, you know, back in the eight, the eighties, but you've been on an extraordinary, you know, journey to battle, you know, this, this addiction. How is everything now? Um, you know, Um, it's, I'm doing wonderful. Um, given it is, as they say, it's a daily battle, especially right now. I mean, as you know, I'm sure you've read the stats. I mean, addiction relapse is up over 40%. Suicide is up over with everything going on with COVID, with the stress in the world. Yeah. It's gotten really bad. We're, we're losing people in recovery left and right right now. And I will not, I mean, I'm an open book, so I will never lie about it. Yeah. I've had my moments of not wanting a drink, but when everything felt like it was falling apart, I've had those moments where it was like, God, I want it all to go away. I know it would do that. But thankfully, I participate in my recovery. It's still something that I do every day. And I, I have the tools now that when those thoughts come into my head, I'm able to play it through to the end and see that it's not going to get me anything that I want, you know, and, yeah. and not head down that path. And don't, don't you just hate it when people turn around and say, well, why don't you just stop drinking? <laughs> like, like it's something very simple. Like you're, you're deciding that, you know, I've got, um, you know, uh, my mom who I've, I've never met. Uh, apparently she, she, she was an al- al- alcoholic and that's the reason why, you know, I've never seen her. And it, it's, it, it's sad because it is something that will always be with us. But um, you've you've wrote a book. Am I right in saying that as well? That's yes. I, I co-wrote a book with a very dear friend of mine, and uh, his name's Dr. Brandon Phillips. He's a pediatric cardiologist. But him and I have a very intertwined life and story. We're almost the same age. We both come from broken homes. And we made a connection many years ago. He was a Starlight Wish kid. He had a terminal condition and it's no longer considered terminal. The procedure he had to fix it is actually so commonplace now that they took his condition off the terminal list. Oh, that's awesome. He survived and has this amazing story of faith and survival. And he had a wish to come to the show to meet me, his favorite character on his favorite show. 
and I was just blown away. No one had ever come to the show specifically to meet me. You know, Kirk Cameron was our big star. He was our heartthrob, the teen beat guy and all that. I didn't have people, you know, came specifically to meet me. And the fact that this kid who, as far as I knew, wouldn't be here very long, wanted his one big wish to come become me. I was just honored. And awesome. him and I hit up a friendship and kept in touch for many years. And we lost touch, you know, lost touch and came back together through some very we have a set of what many people would call coincidences in our life that both him and I just think is God's hand in our life. That's the truth. Mm. Um, it's not a religious book. It's just something him and I believe. If you read the book at some point, you're even getting, whether you are, I've had people say this to me, atheist, believer, not sure, whatever. Reading this book, you you feel there's some plan, whether you believe it's mm. God, mother nature, a higher power, whatever it is, the coincidences, the connections, the way things work in our stories. I don't want to give it all away because it's all in the book, but it would blow your mind. It really would. I'll give you one example. Brandon had to go back up to the Mayo clinic in Minnesota to get his heart valve replaced two years early. And he was very down about it. He was really struggling with what this was going to mean for his medical practice and for everything else. And on his way back from the procedure, he called up Kirk, who he's also friends with. We've all stayed close together. And he just said, Kirk, I'm really struggling right now, man. I need to talk. You know, when are you going to be home? And he says, well, you know, I'm just on my way back I'm actually flying to your area right now. I'm waiting for my plane. I'm heading back to Louisiana to visit some friends. So I'll call you when I get there. Brandon gets on the plane and Kirk sits down right in front of him. Wow. They were on the same flight. It's just, wow. again, not a major thing, but these little intertwining connections run through his life in particular from almost the day he was born. Every time something needs to happen to make his story work out in the proper way, it comes through. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It's, it's, it's like I said, at some point after reading this, almost everybody says you can't call it coincidence anymore. No, things happen this, for this a reason. This looks like a plan. And, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, what, what are you up to nowadays? Because you're a chef. You cook. Yes. You know? I um I was very, very blessed to have a grandmother who was a self-taught chef. She owned a restaurant, and that started my passion for cooking for people. Uh, that was her great passion, was just cooking for others. And she instilled that very deeply in me. And, uh, yeah, I went to culinary school, and I've had my own catering company. Uh, I had that for a while before the 2008 recession. And since then, I've just been freelancing as a chef. Uh, I freelance for different catering companies and I, I teach uh, cooking classes and I host um, basically celebrity chef cooking parties. So, you know, local soccer moms will get like their 10 best friends together and they'll say, hey, teach us Indian cuisine. And I'll come and I'll teach them like four or five different dishes in a certain style. And they get to sit back and have some wine and enjoy themselves. And, you know, I just do different things like that. It's, it's all interacting and getting to cook for people. That's what I love. 
So to get this straight, you're not like a Gordon Ramsay. You, you're quite nice. No, with, no, with I, the, I'm, I'm a little with bit of a teddy ones. bear. I'm a little bit of a teddy bear. <laughs> so you're not shouting at them when they're doing stuff no. wrong. <laughs> Excellent. So if you had, if, if, if Linus had to be a dish, what dish would Linus be? Oh, Linus was complicated. Linus was complicated. I'd say gumbo. Lots of spices, very complicated textures. <laughs> awesome. So um, quickly going back to um, the reunion, because uh, we're going to be finishing the interview very, very soon. Um, what have we got in store? What's actually going to be happening? So we have uh, private one-on-one -on -one, uh, video chats available. We have a group panel that will be happening as well. And then also people can send in their memorabilia to have it signed. And we'll be doing a live web signing so everybody can see it's really us. It's all verified. And um, they can also purchase some of the memorabilia if they don't have anything they want to get signed. Or if somebody heard about it too late and doesn't have time, we have lots of photographs, um, pop figurines, stuffed animals, different things that are all snoopy and peanuts memorabilia that can be signed and purchased as well so it's just a big live virtual signing it's the first time all of us have done one of these together so it's the first opportunity to kind of fill out your collection for all the collectors out there and the fans so it's a really unique opportunity i think it's going to be a lot of fun Oh, it's going to be amazing. Derek uh, Mackey does some amazing virtual, uh, you know, events with in-house con. That's what I've um, seen. You know, the, pre the previous ones I've uh, watched have been amazing, and I'll definitely be there this Saturday to watch this one. Uh, before we wrap up, um, if you could travel back in time, Jeremy, to your 18-year-old self, what three things would you tell him? First and foremost, I would tell him, do not fear. Because that was one of my biggest things growing up out of abuse and all of that was anxiety and fear for no mm -hmm. reason. And I would tell him, show more understanding, show more love. Because again, being where I was at that point in my life, I was a very angry kid. I was a very angry person. I drove a lot of people I cared about away from me at that point in time. And uh, yeah, that's what I would tell myself. Awesome. And what's, what's next for you? What can we see you doing? Is, is, is it the cooking well, or you got any shows? Well, still doing a little out? of both. You know, I'm yeah. never going to stop acting. I still love it. Um, as soon as production begins again, I have two films that I'm slated to be doing. Both of them are horror films. Um, awesome. Can't give any details because are, they are non-disclosure <laughs> agreements, but they are horror films. They're going to be a lot of fun. And then we still have, uh, I have a series that I'm helping produce with a friend of mine that we're hoping to have beginning uh, production next year when everything is back full in Hollywood. Because right now everything's shut down. Yeah. I mean, fing fingers crossed. Everything happens with the government um, as everyone wants it to go. Um, you know, I try not to make the show smart, political because I'm English. I ain't smart enough to English. say how it should go. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I ain't smart enough. I, I just accept and go on. Yeah, as long as you're okay. As long as you're keeping safe and healthy. That is all Absolutely. that matters. Jeremy, you've been a great guest. I've really enjoyed this. Um, Me too. And I will see you Saturday 
um, and I'll be watching away and uh, putting my questions down for you and the rest of the cast. So that's the Peanuts reunion this Saturday, the 10th of October, uh, in-house con. Um, as I'm talking right now, there's going to be a big sign on the screen showing you where to go and how to get your tickets. Jeremy, look after yourself. Thank you so you much. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Be More Super the Podcast. It was kind of a crazy, fun experience. I love the show, guys. You're awesome. Listen, my whole family loves it, man. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share with your super friends. My world.